Hello, and thank you for joining the North Point Church Lutes podcast. We're excited that you found us, and we pray that you'll come back often and listen again and again. Each week, we upload the content preached in one of the North Point Church services here in Lutz, and we pray that you'll come back and listen and marinate on what it is that God was teaching us. The more that these messages get into your heart, the more that you have the opportunity to be obedient and allow them to change your life. We believe that God is real and His Word is true, and that has the power to change your life. So let's lean in together and see what it is that God has in store for you today. going to clap for the bumper? Let's go. That's good. (laughs) Thank you. Man, that's a heck of a way to start. Good morning, church. So grateful to be here with you this morning. I'm so grateful for Pastor Steve and the elders giving me the opportunity to speak this morning uh, as we're beginning a new series. You know, we just spent uh, the better part of a month going through uh, this story of life change where we saw Saul of Tarsus, this vehement persecutor of the church, become the chief advocate and defender of the faith in the Apostle Paul as he had that experience with the living Christ on the Damascus Road. And what a story of life change that has been. And so it would make perfect sense if we went now over the next five or six weeks through one of the most important letters that Paul wrote as an apostle to the churches of which we have extant copies. And that letter is Galatians. And so you, you know Galatians as being one of the books of the New Testament. You know it be, as being, most likely you know it to be one of the letters that Paul wrote to the churches. But you may have some confusion about when he wrote it or why he wrote it or where it was or what was happening. And so today, as we're going to look at chapter one of Galatians, that will be our primary end that we have in mind is to set us up as a group for this book study in Galatians as we look through, again, this very important letter, which it's important for us to remember is not just an ancient letter written to an ancient people in an ancient context with an ancient message that has no application for us today. In fact, as we're going to learn the message and the crux of what Galatians teaches to those churches at that time is completely applicable to us today, as much, if not more so, than it was in the time of the apostle. And so, as it always is, as always is the case when we begin a book and we look at the first chapter, this is going to feel a lot like an introduction today. You may say, where's the material of Galatians? Well, the bulk of the material of Galatians is really in the last quarter of chapter 2 through the end of chapter 6. It's a short letter. In fact, you can read it in a single sitting and think, wow, that was actually achievable. You know, as it tends to be with some of the New Testament letters, they're 
they are written in an ancient context, right? And they are written in an ancient literary style, which even when it's put into our language, we sometimes stumble over the propositions that are inside of that letter because it's so compact. If you think that, and as we're about to discuss the history and, and really what was, um, what was at stake in that region of Galatia, for the apostle to write this very short letter, it certainly must be dense, intellectually dense, theologically dense, spiritually dense, and it is. And so the way that we make that approachable and achievable is we're going to take it in bites. And so we're going to look at chapter 1 of Galatians today. My hope is that as we go through this, that you'll be reading Galatians along with us. It'll take you four minutes to read Galatians chapter 1. It'll take you four minutes to read Galatians chapter 2. And you're probably going to read more quickly than that because that's how long it would take to read them aloud. And uh, we're going to read through Galatians chapter 1 today, and then we're going to look at it in a way that I hope makes you feel like, okay, I can wrap my head and my heart around the message of this book. But as we remember, the Apostle Paul was saved on that road to Damascus in that encounter with the resurrected Christ, and it radically changed his life right? He had gone from being the persecutor to being the defender. And very shortly thereafter, um, he began to solidify his apostolic call, and his mission was clearly stated by God to the Gentiles. And so as Paul would go on his first missionary journey, which you're going to find in Acts chapter 13 and chapter 14, he goes through this region that's called Galatia. Now, for a bit of a geography lesson, for those of you who say, I've never heard of a place called Galatia, it's only through the Bible book of Galatians that I know what it is. And if I told you that that is actually the area that we call Anatolia, you would say, oh, I don't know where that is either. Many of you, right? So a little bit of ancient Near Eastern geography. Do you know where modern-day Turkey is? And if you don't, it's okay. We're going to say where it is, right? Modern-day Turkey, to the north of which would be the Black Sea, directly to the south of which would be the Mediterranean, okay? Very slightly into the Mediterranean is the island of Cyprus, and directly south of the island of Cyprus is the Nile River Delta, okay? So right just north of Egypt, through the Mediterranean, there's an area called Anatolia, modern-day Turkey. Sometimes it's called... um, It's called Asia Minor, but it's in North Central Asia. To the east of this, you would find Asia, and to the west of this, you would find modern-day Europe. This is a little area nestled in. It's not far from Damascus. It's not far from Antioch. But Paul and Barnabas, on the first missionary journey, would travel from that area in Syria of Damascus and Antioch to the island of Cyprus, and then up to this region called Galatia. And there would be uh, lots of Gentiles there. This was an area which was predominantly Gentile. And of course, Paul, as the apostle, has been called to minister to the Gentiles. He would go into this area and establish some churches and encourage others that had already been established. And when he went to them, this was, he went to them in about 47 or 48 AD. And then he would write this letter to the Galatians in about 48, 49 AD. He had not been gone from there for long. And if you'll remember from Acts chapter 13 and 14, he was vehemently opposed by the Jews in the area as he went into Galatia and encouraged the churches. In fact, there was one instance where they stoned him, dragged him out of the city because they thought that he was dead. And he, of course, wasn't, thank you, Lord, but came back in and and preached to those areas. And so there was a lot of opposition in that region. 
He had completed his first missionary journey. He had gone home, and now he had gotten word that some were coming in behind him and distorting the gospel that he had just preached. In fact, they were telling the uh, the Galatians that you had to uh, uphold a lot of the Jewish tradition, including the law and the Levitical guidelines of dietary restrictions and practice circumcision and honor the days of the festivals and do all of these things in addition to the gospel, which he had just come in and clearly preached. And so as a result of this, Paul is furious. Okay. Paul is not just angry. Paul is furious with a righteous indignation against those who have come through and not only distorted the gospel to the churches, which he holds very dear, but had also questioned his own apostleship. They had come through this group that we're going to talk about called the Judaizers, right? These were Jewish Christians who had now come through and said, what the apostle taught you was almost correct. It was right up to a point, but then he left a lot of things out. We certainly still can't be reconciled to God by just surrendering to the resurrected Christ. Certainly there must be more to this. We must have to work and follow a set of guidelines and attain to the law and, uh, and practice circumcision. And these things that had been really fulfilled in Christ and were no longer necessary. And so Paul is furious that the Judaizers have come in behind him and are distorting the gospel. And that's really the backdrop under which we're going to read the letter of Galatians. And if you will read along with me as we go through chapter 1, either in your physical paper Bible or on your digital Bible, and if you didn't bring one, please over the next five or six weeks bring your Bible because it is going to make this study much more fruitful. So we'll turn to Galatians, and we're going to read from chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven or anyone should preach to you a gospel, contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed, anathema, damned. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed, for, I, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God, violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, 
So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart from before even I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach to him that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in, that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. The glorification of God is the primary thing that the gospel intends to do as well as the apostle intends to do. So what we need to do now in order for that to make sense to our heads and hearts, to begin to reconcile it, to begin to put some of these main points that the apostle makes into their proper place is to really just look at the scripture in a stepwise fashion and begin right back again in verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. This is important right here that the apostle tells from where his apostleship comes. Remember, the Judaizers were challenging his apostleship, the veracity of it, the reality of it. They were suggesting that this guy, Paul, who's come to you, having been the chief persecutor of the church, certainly isn't on the class of apostleship that Peter and James and John and the others would have been because they spent three full years with Jesus before his crucifixion. And this apostle Paul is claiming only to have encountered the resurrected Christ. In fact, he was persecuting the church so vehemently, how could his apostleship be as valid as the others? And so they were claiming that Paul's apostleship was somehow in question. So he's saying, listen, I am not coming uh, from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. That is where his apostleship comes from. And that he did not receive the gospel secondhand either. Not from a man. It was not preached to him and then received by him. But rather he received the gospel message in its purity, in its simplicity, in its profundity. Directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the typical pattern of Paul, isn't it? He introduces himself. If you, if you open his letters and look, he'll introduce himself. He'll say, grace and peace to you. I'm coming in the name of Jesus Christ. And then typically, which is absent in this letter, is this real glowing Thanksgiving passage where he says, thank you so much for persisting in the faith, for following after Christ, for making him known, for doing the good deeds of the faith and bringing others into the fold in, in this glowing thanksgiving. That's absent here because remember, Paul's not a happy camper. The apostle is angry and he, he needs to get directly to the point because what is at stake here in Galatia is grave. He says, he who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. The centrality of the cross is always Paul's message. 
Anything that you open up with Paul, even if you read about him as Luke wrote about him in the, in the Acts of the Apostles, you'll find that the centrality of the cross is always at the heart of Paul's message. And so he certainly needs to mention it here. But this is where the meat begins, and this is what's going to tie so much in with the rest of Galatians, especially next week, where he says, I'm astonished that you so quickly are deserting him who called you and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is one, he throws in with a little sarcasm, right? Um, But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Remember, he had just left. He had been gone less than a year, and they had already begun to listen to these Judaizers, and he's saying, I'm astonished. Frankly, I'm hurt, guys. I'm appalled. I'm sad for you, but I'm angry. And I'm righteously angry, not only that you've allowed them to come in and distort it, but I'm angry at them, and I'm sad for you, because with the love of God that protects, with the righteous jealousy of God, I am I seek to protect you and to elevate your honor among God. And so he desires for the people to be in right order as the church. This different gospel, of course, is, as he says, there's not one. But we know that, again, we're in the different gospel, really, guys, there's a subtle difference here. The gospel that the Judaizers were proclaiming, they were saying, look, everything Paul taught you is okay. But he left out these very important pillars of the faith, which were, of course, pillars of the Jewish faith, right? Got to still be circumcised, must follow the dietary restrictions, must follow the law of Moses, and absolutely have to keep the festivals in order somehow to earn this reconciliation with God. Paul had left those out for an important reason. It was not an oversight that the apostle didn't preach those things. He didn't preach them because they had been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Christ was the only one who could ever come and live a sinless life and fully and perfectly keep the law. And because he had fully and perfectly kept the law, he consummated and fulfilled the covenant that God had made with Abraham and Moses after him. And so the law no longer was the bondage of people. That they could be justified by faith alone was the message of the gospel. And it had been preached so clearly to them but they were missing it. I love how uh, explicit Paul is when he says, but even if we come to you, he's like, in advance, I'm telling you, even if we come, or even if an angel of the Lord comes and preaches this gospel to you in a different way, let him be accursed. If we come back through this area and we preach the gospel in a different way, Break fellowship with us because it is not of God. And if an angel even appears to you and teaches you a different gospel, I'm telling you it's not from God. I received the gospel directly from the resurrected Christ and I immediately gave it to you. And anyone who comes in and distorts it, as the Lord said would happen and as the apostles since would say would happen, they should be accursed. That's strong language. That damns them to hell. That makes them anathema. That means you would break fellowship with them because what they teach you is dangerous to people, especially to God's people. For now, am I seeking the approval of man or am I seeking the approval of God? This was one of the criticisms that the Judaizers had said was that Paul was coming not on God's authority but on man's authority. 
And so it's very important to Paul that he reminds them, I'm, listen, I'm not here to please man. I am not here on man's authority. I'm here only on God's authority. In fact, we know that the, these are competing ideals that are incompatible with one another. You can't please God and please man. In fact, Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 6 talks all about how when you pray and when you fast and when you give, don't do as the hypocrites do for the approval of man. I tell you they have received their reward, meaning man's approval, but they have not won the approval of God. You should get that. <laughs> hey, what time does church start? Is it still 11.45? These are incompatible ideals. You cannot please God and please man. And so Paul is saying, listen, that is not why I'm here. In fact, Paul wasn't pleasing anybody the first time he went through Galatia. He got stoned nearly to death. Everywhere he went, there was opposition. He could have gone and sought to please man and done wonderfully. He was certainly charismatic. He certainly had a a teaching gift. So he could have gone and, and, and taught lies and been welcomed. But that was not his aim nor his end. And it contrasts with the Judaizers. For I would have you know, brothers, verse 11, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Christ. We've said it before. We'll say it again. Paul did not get his conversion through someone telling him the gospel. He got his conversion, and he got his gospel directly from Christ. That is so important because there would be uh, no invalidation of that gospel message when Paul makes that case. He said in verse 13, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism. All right, he's about to address the elephant in the room. Uh, How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. They certainly would have known this when he came through Galatia the first time, but they may still have a bad taste in in their mouths. And certainly the Judaizers would try to leverage this. Then they would say, how can you fully trust in this guy? He killed your friends and family. He drugged those who we love off to persecution and killed the church before he had this miraculous conversion. They would try to use it against him. Paul would come and lay all his cards on the table and use that as an evidence of life change and say, here's who I was. And now I'm among you and I'm preaching the gospel. That's how radically it's changed my life. What they would use to, uh, to criticize him or invalidate him, he would use as further ammunition to fuel his validity. Look at how Christ has changed my life. Certainly someone as bad as me who's been changed so radically isn't here making this up. This was a life change that would have been impossible. He says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my own people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul was telling them that he he didn't used to be just like a regular class Jew. He was like a super Jew right? In the Greek, super Jew. Paul was saying, we read it in in Acts, I believe it's chapter 23, where Paul says, I, brothers, am a Pharisee, the son of Pharisees. In other words, I come from a long line of these guys. I was the upper echelon, moving, shaking. I would be the next Gamaliel. I would be the next rabbi emeritus of this region, right? Right? 
I was advancing because I was so zealous for those traditions. If anybody knew about the traditions, right, circumcision, the Levitical code, uh, the law of Moses and the festivals, it would have been Paul. He was so zealous for it that he was killing Christians because they were deviating from it. And so if anybody was going to come in, if there was validity to it and add those things back into the gospel, it would be Paul, right? He had spent his entire life training for this moment. He was the Jew among Jews, zealous for the traditions of his fathers. And he, he is the one now saying, look, I grew up under tradition. If anybody loves this stuff and understands the beauty of it, it's me. But I'm telling you, it's no longer about tradition, guys. It's about the gospel. It is about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. The centrality of the cross is the centrality of our message. This was radically new. But when he who had set me apart from before I was even born was revealed to ple- was pleased to reveal his son to me, this is indicative of Paul's theology here. And if you read through the New Testament, you'll find this over and over again. Paul understands the notion that it was not a plan B by God to have Paul become an apostle and preach to the Gentiles. It wasn't as if the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are sitting around and saying, you know... This whole apostleship thing is going okay, but these guys haven't even left Judea yet. And there's a bunch of Gentiles that needed to, need to be folded into the new covenant. Perhaps we should tap somebody and uh, make them an apostle to the Gentiles. No, Paul's saying, he, before I was born, before I was formed in my mother's womb, God ordained that I would be converted on the road to Damascus at that very moment and that I would preach among you right now. He understood that God was that sovereign that he was plan A to preach to the Gentiles. How do you argue against that validity? If God is sovereign, which they certainly would have believed, even the Judaizers believed that, he's saying he selected me to be his apostle among you people. And you are so quickly deviating from this message that I brought to you. The message that I was ordained to bring to you before you were born. This is critical for Paul, and it's going to come into play over the following weeks. He said, I didn't immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem and consult with the apostles. This is important because he needs you to know that not only if you're in Galatia, in those churches, he needs you to understand that his conversion, widely publicized, everybody knows about it. Life change, clear as day. This is definitely the guy who used to kill us, and now he's here preaching the gospel, and he seems to believe it. That's verifiable. You can't argue with that. But what he wants you to understand if you're in the churches at Galatia is that after his conversion, he went back to Arabia, right? Went back to Damascus, he says, in Syria. He didn't go to the apostles. He didn't go to Jerusalem to consult with them. So not only did he receive his, uh, his uh, conversion from Jesus Christ, that transforming, life-changing me- uh, moment, but he received his physical, uh, his, his spiritual and his intellectual transformation from Jesus. So over this period of time, he developed his theology and he developed his spiritual transformation and growth apart from the other apostles. It came only from the Lord. And so he, what he's saying is, listen, I didn't get converted and then go get my theology from James and Peter, but I abide in the Lord during this time and I come to you preaching now what he's taught to me through the Holy Scripture, and through his revelation. 
hey, Siri is like writing out the last 10 things I've said. There it goes. I said Syria. Hey, Siri, make sure I don't say Syria ever again in the message. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who... I got your, I got your hey, Siri. We must have a similar voice. So the son was revealed to him by God the Father, who's the source of the gospel as he preaches. Then he says, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. I finally visited with Peter. I met with, the James, with James, the half-brother of Jesus, and I consulted with them. Again, this adds validity because Paul was accepted by the other apostles. And so as we get to a pa- through a passage of scripture that, like this, that takes four minutes to read aloud and another 15 minutes to go and break down a little bit at a time and understand what it's saying, we see that this really is approachable. We can do this whole Galatians thing. We're going to come out on the other side and really know what Galatians teaches and why it's important. But if I were to give you some main points and uh, some key points, the main point, the main proposition, it's going to help us with the application. So we're going to do that. So if you are taking notes, four real brief main points that are, that are found here, or four key points rather in one main point. Key point number one, Paul was called by God the Father in Jesus Christ and had received the gospel directly from the resurrected Jesus himself. That's a lot to write, Mr. Corey. Okay. Paul's calling and apostleship comes directly from God through the risen Jesus. It doesn't come from man. Okay? That's number one. The source of Paul's apostleship being from God. Number two, Paul's not coming on man's authority, has no interest in pleasing man, but only aims to please God. Paul does not come on man's authority. He comes on God's authority. That's number two. Number three, his apostleship is valid and recognized by the other apostles. This is going to be important as he makes his case in Galatia. His apostleship is valid and recognized by the other apostles. And number four, very importantly, if anyone comes to you and peddles a false gospel, break fellowship with them, whether it be us or the other apostles or an angel. If anybody comes to you and preaches a gospel contrary to the one that we have taught you, they are anathema to be placed outside of the faith. Then we get the main point which we're going to have the main point here in chapter 1, which is going to help us in the coming weeks, particularly next week, when we're going to focus in on justification by faith alone. Main point of the passage, there is one gospel, and to amend or to append it in any way, to add to it or to take away from it, invalidates it and makes it a false gospel. Remember, Paul said, not that there is another one. I'm so disappointed. I'm astonished, in fact, that you have deviated from the gospel, that you've allowed it to be distorted, and you have bought a false gospel. Not that there is one, as he says. Main point, one gospel to change it, invalidates it, makes it a false gospel. And then the main proposition of this passage, the proposition is like, what do we do with the passage? Based on what we read, what do we do? And that is if we encounter a gospel that's different than the one taught by Jesus and the apostles, it is to be rejected authoritatively. Not on man's authority, right? On God's authority. If we encounter a false gospel, it is to be rejected authoritatively. And as we, as we think about what do we do, again, I said it's not an ancient book written to an ancient people in an ancient context with an ancient message that has no application to us today, right? That's not the case. And so to the modern believer, we would have to realize that we are living in a time where we are just as likely to be persuaded 
and to accept additions or subtractions from the gospel to make it more palatable, to fit our tradition, to fit our experience, to fit our reason. If it's not reasonable to us, if it doesn't feel right, if it doesn't sound like that's what God would have said because God is love, right? We, we soften the edges of the gospel. We make it more complex because it needs to fit our sensibilities. That happens all around us. We know people that are like that. And what has happened then and what is happening now is that the good news of Jesus Christ seems too good to be true. It certainly can't be that simple, is the notion, right? This was refreshing to the Galatians when somebody came in and gave them enough that they were like, okay, now that sounds like a new religion. Thank you, Judaizers, for coming in and saying, this is what is required of me. The good news seemed too good to be true. That happens today. People say, what must I do to be saved? They say, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. It's a simple transaction, this double imputation. Christ's righteousness is put upon you and your sin is put upon Jesus Christ. And the God who doesn't negotiate sin made he who knew no sin become sin to pay the penalty and substitution for us. And we make it that simple for people, yet they think, gosh, I've got I've to add or subtract or change. But the reality is, guys, if you drive two miles in any direction from North Point Church, you're going to find an assembly that is doing precisely this, what has happened here in this region, in Galatia. You're going to find a church, I will put in quotations, because if you modified the gospel, Paul says it's not the gospel. That teaches that something has to be added, whether it be that justification is not by faith alone, but by faith plus the sacraments. And we have to be saved through the sacraments and through the church. That's not the gospel. Or that it's being taught that somehow baptism is required for salvation, that this baptismal regeneration is required. That's not what Paul taught. That's not what Jesus taught. It's not what the apostles taught. It's not the gospel. But it's subtle, right? You drive two miles in another direction and you find a local assembly that says that we hold scripture in high regard, but we hold the the writings of Ellen G. White in equal regard. And so those must be held up next to the scripture, and we've, we've discovered that it's not any longer the gospel. You find another assembly that believes that Jesus was not actually God and not actually the Christ, and then there must be this earning, this working toward knocking on a specific number of doors in order that God might allow me to come to him. And that's not the gospel. We just celebrated the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, where Pastor Steve Williams talked about that we get it so mixed up because we feel like we're not good enough. We don't have anything to bring to the equation. Why would God accept me? Why would God allow me to be reconciled to him? We bring nothing to the equation. We don't bring anything to God. We cannot, right? For the one who gave his life, nothing is a sacrifice. We don't bring anything to the equation. And for many, even some among us here today, we think that that can't be enough. It can't be as simple as surrendering our life. And so we're faced 
with this dilemma. What do we do about that false gospel? Many of us grew up in churches that taught extra stuff. The Protestant Reformation taught us two primary things. Number one, that all authority comes from the Word of God through Scripture. That's the formal proposition of the Reformation. And then the next four points are the, are the material propositions of the, of the Reformation. The justification comes by through grace alone, right? By faith alone, founded upon this foundation of Christ alone to the glory of God alone. And, and the gospel is that simple and that profound. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to dig into Galatians. We're going to find out exactly what that means, justification by faith alone. We're going to find out why the apostle was so ticked off. And we're going to discover what we can do with a letter like Galatians. Will you read Galatians 1 and 2 this week? It'll take you eight minutes. Anybody going to read it? Four people? Nine people? 23 people? Okay. Thank you. You can do it, I promise. It's not, it's not heavy. And then you're going to have a foundation when we come in next week and we talk about Galatians chapter 2. And by the end of this five or six weeks, you're going to say, I know what Galatians is all about. Check out the Go Deeper this week. It's got a lot of good information for you. But your loved ones, your children, and those people dear to you and the people in this community are prone to adding or subtracting from the gospel without even realizing they've done it. At the moment, it, not become, it becomes not the gospel anymore. Let me pray for you. Heavenly and gracious Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you would, Father, through the apostle and through his strong words to the churches in that region in the first century, that you would have a message for us A message that says that the gospel really is that simple. That it really only takes faith. That everything good that can be brought to God comes from God. Comes from your son. And so we put it all on him. Father, thank you that you would allow sinful man to be reconciled to a holy, righteous, just, perfect God. all on the basis of what your son has done for us. It's in his holy name that we pray. Amen. crazy to start a book study like Galatians because some of you today are like going, oh my gosh, that's a lot of history and back backstory stuff. Sometimes it's easy to kind of cut in and out of a message like that while you're trying to learn, especially if you're, if you love history, man, you're right in there. If you don't, maybe you're struggling to kind of stay up today, but I hope you caught the main point about what Pastor Corey is talking about today is that the gospel is simple in terms of what Jesus came and done for us. It's simple to understand. It's simple to recognize. It's simple to apply to our life. But it requires something that's not simple. It requires us to surrender our life to God. The gospel is simply this, that Jesus will forgive all of your sins, as Steve Williams has shared with us today through communion. 
Help us understand that there's a sacrifice that was already made for us to have forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus will forgive you of your sins if you surrender your life to him. And we surrender our life to him to follow after him and to chase after him and to serve him all the days of our life left on earth so that we can have eternity to walk along and give God the glory all of our days in heaven, which are eternal. It's an incredible gift that we have. It's a free gift. But it does have a cost in terms of our life surrender. So I wonder, have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Have you said yes to him? Have you given your life and your heart over to him? Oh, I pray that you have. Then if you have, then you are one of the children of God. You are chasing after him and, and allowing him to lead your life and guide your life. He's your forgiver and your leader. But maybe you're here today and you're watching online and you don't quite know necessarily what is my next step. How do I move forward with that? That's why we put together some resources for you. We put together resources because, yes, even if right now you say, I want to make Jesus my Lord and Savior, if you don't understand the truth behind the gospel, which are found in these documents for you, if you don't understand the truth, then someone can lead you astray. And so we're not here to check a box of how many people said yes to Jesus today. That's not what we exist for. We exist to make sure that you've made that correct decision and that nothing else is in the way of that decision, that you're not adding things to it, and that you learn how to study God's Word, and that you learn how to pray, and you learn how to grow in your relationship with Him. And we have resources for you to do just that. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus Christ recently or want to make that decision today, I want to encourage you to do two, one of two things. If you're here in the auditorium, and you can simply respond by coming forward at the conclusion of this message. We won't have a final song today, but uh, the elders and their, their wives will be up here in the front row. And we're here to answer any questions that you have about what it means to follow Jesus Christ. It'll take us five minutes to really share with you the simplicity of the gospel. But we'll give to you this new believers packet so that you can have help with that. Or maybe you're here today in the auditorium and, and you're making a decision to rededicate your life to Christ, to be able to get back to the basics, but you feel like you've missed that first step and you want a copy of one of these resources, please come forward. We'll be glad to provide that to you. If you're watching at home, your next step, if you're ready to surrender, is simply texting the word SURRENDER to 97000. When you text the word surrender, whether you're in the auditorium or watching on home, you're going to immediately get another text message back from us. And it will have three choices. Check one, uh, number one, number two, number three, and you'll simply reply. One is I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Two means that I want to rededicate my life to Jesus Christ. And if you check and if you reply three, that means that you have questions. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm interested. I want to know, but I want to talk to somebody about that. So either way that you respond, we want to be able to get back some information to you. Oh, I pray that you're bold to do that. I pray that you're bold to move forward in this final moment. And so as church concludes today... Our men and families will stay up here across the front, ready to pray with you. Because we also understand this, is that maybe you came today with a real heavy burden on your heart. And hearing a message with some history and background of a gospel message, although it was interesting and, and fascinating because we love the character Paul that we've been studying, there's still something in your heart that you feel like is a burden that you need to lay down. And we would love to pray with you. We want you to leave knowing that God has heard that prayer today, and we'll stay as long as it takes to meet that need. So my encouragement to our church family is just be respectful as you depart today for those that will come forward to pray. 
Uh, and I pray that you have a wonderful day, and I pray that we'll see you back next week. I'm looking forward to sharing with you chapter two. Uh, as God's laying some exciting things on my heart to share as it relates to that next chapter, I pray that you'll do the reading and be prepared so we can move forward together and go further faster. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this morning and for the opportunity to worship you in this way. Lord, we've come and we have read your word. We've opened scripture. We've publicly read your word today. We have prayed, we have worshiped, and we have given our tithes and offerings, and we have listened. And now it's time for us to respond. And so, God, whether we come forward to pray or for those that are putting their faith and trust in you for the first time or others to rededicate their life, I pray that you would give them the boldness to follow up with us so that we can make sure that they have the next steps that they need and the tools that they need and that we can celebrate along with their decision. Father, thank you for this time and this day. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.